to hire or not to hire. That is the topic of the day as David Cook returns to discuss the hiring process, things he's learned hiring people onto productions, and how to find those people you want to keep hiring time and time again. So without further ado, let's get started. Thank you, David, for coming back on the show today. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Yeah. So it has been a couple of years. I think last time you were on, it was still all the COVID craziness happening and stuff. So maybe to start, just kind of catch people up a little bit on what you've been up to the last few years. Well, I've been really blessed to be able to work on several different projects. Uh, I've been doing mostly producing related work. Uh, just finished working with the Kendricks on a movie called The Forge that's coming out next August. And that was a lot of fun. Also was able to work with Aaron Burns on a couple of projects. And the last one was Birthright, which also released uh, this October. So yeah, just been really, really excited to be able to work on those projects. Uh, also got to work some more on The Chosen uh, season three, and that was a lot of fun as well. Nice. Yeah, none. I'm looking forward to seeing the Kendrick brother one and I've worked with some of the the people that were on set with that one and heard some, some good stories and stuff from that. So looking forward to it. So today kind of wanted to focus on the hiring aspect that uh, producers are involved with. And I guess maybe to start, at least in my experience, there seems to be kind of three ways, I guess, you can hire people on uh, film projects and that's as a contractor, an employee or a loan out. Um, so maybe to start uh, kind of just give like the broad, I guess you can maybe call it layman's definition of like what those three terms mean. Sure. So the kind of the different uh, ways you can hire somebody, you've got your employee. That's definitely the most common Almost everybody's going to be an employee. Probably 90% or better are going to be employees. Uh, that means they're going to do a whole bunch of paperwork, which most people are used to. Uh, you're going to get paid each week, typically. Uh, you're going to have all the kinds of withholding, you know, tax withholding and other uh, things taken out of it. And then you're going to look at your check afterwards and be like, really? Is that all I get? At least that's what I do. Um, <clears throat> so that's your employee. That's, again that's the bulk of uh, everybody that's working on a movie or typically should be. Uh, then you've got a loan out. So a loan out is a little bit different. Uh, it's still an employee typically, but what you have in that situation is they're not being paid as an employee by you. So, or by me or whoever, you know, the producers are. So what happens there is they're already working for another company. And so instead of having a situation where they're working two different places and dealing with who gets what benefits and, you know, kind of double dipping, if you will, a company that's not getting their work uh, currently having to pay things, you pay their company instead. So company A, you, is hiring them to work on the film for a short period of time. And so you pay company B, which normally for a loan out is kind of a, 
company created just for that person. And mm-hmm. it's just how they're handling their taxes, but it can also be, I think the more um, original intent of a loan out was they're working for a different company. And we had that on the last project. You have some people that are already working for another production company. And so we pay that production company and then that production company continues to pay them, pay all their benefits, anything that they normally get. So that's kind of the concept of a loan out. And I will say on loan outs, you know, there's always a lot of questions about loan outs, exactly how they work. Uh, I would recommend getting a CPA involved uh, if you have more questions on that, because that kind of, it's got its tax benefits. It's got a lot of different pieces to it potentially, uh, but that's kind of out of my credentialed experience sphere to be able to talk about. Uh, And then you'll typically have people that uh, collaborate on the project that might just work as an independent contractor. Uh, those are typically not your the bulk of your crew or even your crew, but it might be a caterer, a catering company that's providing food versus having a caterer on, on your crew. It might just be a company that you hire to do the catering, and then they would take care of paying their people, take care of all the food purchases, and you're just paying them a flat cost you know, to provide food for you and saying, hey, get us some food. Uh, it could be other service providers as well, uh, whatever that might look like, that might end up getting paid as a contractor. Uh, in the past, there have been a lot of people that have tried to do a whole movie, uh, just everyone as uh, contractors. Mm-hmm. And that might work in certain circumstances. But for the most part, uh, if you're doing a film, uh, usually the the ruling has been that everybody would be an employee. So definitely if you're exploring that or looking into that, I would just say, hey, do a little bit more research. Make sure that uh, you know what's going on because you don't want to be handling things the wrong way. But all of these are basically, uh, when it boils down to it, you're just figuring out how you're paying somebody. And Mm -hmm. most of it is connected to the tax burden and how taxes are handled uh, with all of that. That's really why most people care uh, what's going on. Yeah, makes sense. I guess one other thing I'd be curious to hear your experience in is like, how much do um, like film incentives play into maybe those different classifications of hiring people? So film incentives are a a big uh, variable for most productions that qualify for them uh, because you get so much back potentially. And definitely uh, most of them are connected to, again, taxes. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the more popular ones, the Georgia Film Incentive, for example, uh, it's a tax credit. And a lot of people are producing familiar with it, but you have this tax credit and you try to sell the tax credit, all these different pieces. But first you have to see what qualifies as a proper spend. So it just depends on the state and what the rules are how you may be impacted by the different types of hiring. So some states qualify all of the employee work, uh, whether it's in-state or out-of-state. Other only qualify in-state. Most of them, I would say, also recognize the loan-out concept because basically you're bringing in the worker as an employee for all practical purposes, but they're getting paid through a different company and you're just paying that company. Mm-hmm. But some will only uh, work, say, well, as long as it's a 
state company, then it qualifies. But what most of them want to do is just make sure that they're getting the tax from that company that they should be. So lots of times, like in the state of Georgia, you're required to withhold the maximum tax burden that that company would have mm-hmm. and send that into the state for it to qualify. Uh, contractors, independent contractors are only going to qualify if they're in state Okay. in this scenario. So if you had an independent contractor and they were willing to work as an employee for your company for the period that you need them uh, and that didn't you know, cause problems for them, then in certain circumstances, that could be more beneficial for your bottom line uh, to try to hire them that way. But those, mm-hmm. those are just kind of the, the implications that there could be. So now that we've covered how you go about hiring people onto your production and how that maybe impacts different uh, film incentives, I'd love it if you could kind of just talk us through your hiring process for projects. So when I'm looking to hire somebody, uh, first off, I'll preface by just saying I don't actually hire a lot of people typically on a movie. Mm-hmm. I'm usually hiring a handful of people and then I'm relying on them to bring on their teams. So uh, we can start with someone like the DP, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my director is going to have a lot of say into who the DP is. The DP is going to have a lot of say into the gaffer and the key grip. The gaffer is going to bring on his team. The key grip is going to bring on his team. You know, that's typically how it works uh, just from a, responsibility perspective. So I'm holding certain people responsible to do their jobs. And I try to, as much as possible, give them the flexibility to do their jobs to the best of their ability, mm-hmm. which includes being able to bring on the team members that they want to work with. And then I'll help fill holes, find options for them, all that kind of stuff. But ultimately I'm trusting their judgment for their departments. Most times. Um, <clears throat> if I'm looking to hire somebody, which there are definitely still, you know, a lot of situations where that happens. There's kind of two categories uh, to start out with. The first is whether I'm hiring somebody for the first time or whether I'm rehiring people. And I always prefer to rehire people because I it's a known variable and it's not a risk right. of what's it going to look like, how's it going to be. But if I was going to hire somebody new, there would kind of be three things I would be looking at. Number one, and kind of the most important of all of them would be recommendations. So I'm going to be contacting people I know and trust to say, Hey, do you have anybody that you would recommend? And a recommendation carries a lot of weight because you know, you're kind of backing that person or sponsoring that person, however you want to think about it. So if that person says, yes, I'd really recommend this person, then I'm going to look at that first, regardless of how many resumes I have or, where somebody lives or anything else. So that's kind of the most important one. Uh, after that, something like a resume, or I just think of it as experience. So whether they send me a resume or I look at projects that they've been involved with, I'm going to be trying to evaluate, are they going to be a liability? Or are they going to be an asset? You know, how much work experience do they have? How many times have they been rehired by people that they've worked with before? Right. So I'm kind of trying to just gauge that without the recommendation. And then after that location, is also many times a factor, uh, especially if I'm hiring somebody that is kind of lower on the list as far as uh, critical importance and experience being a factor, then location mm-hmm. might be 
a big factor just because of the added cost. If I have a PA position to fill, let's say I can pay that PA $200 a day. If they're local, then they cost me about $200 a day. If I have to bring them from out of town, then typically just the cost of lodging and travel is going to double the cost of that person. So those are just variables that you're thinking about when you're hiring. So that would be kind of the, the order of things. Now, if I'm looking at rehiring somebody, then I'm going to be evaluating first their work ethic and kind of my past experience with them, how it went, what I thought about that experience. Uh, I'm going to also be evaluating how they're going to fit with the existing team, trying to match people up personality-wise, everything else, to make sure that it's just very supportive. After those things, I might evaluate experience when I'm weighing one person versus another person. If there's two people I really like to work with, two people have a really good work ethic, and it would both fit well on the team. At that point, I am probably looking at you know who has more experience mm -hmm. uh, for a certain situation, and you know character traits are going to stand out. Uh, something that uh, someone I've worked with a lot says it says you want to find people that are fountains, not drains. And so you're looking at, are they somebody that after you've been with them all day, you just feel encouraged and energized or do you feel drained and just, you know, done. So being that kind of person, that's just always uh, a fountain and encouragement has a, you know, smile on their face, stuff like that, a big plus. And then again, locations always going to be a factor. Uh, it's just like, well, if I've got somebody that's really good and they're local, local always weighs very heavily. So, those are kind of the five things that I would say or what I'm thinking about or looking at when I'm hiring somebody. Okay. Jumping back there, I guess, you know, you were talking about how you hire a lot of the department heads and then you trust that they are going to do their job and bring on their crew. How much like, is that, are they handling all of that or is it, they kind of find the person, but then you're still handling a lot of like the final negotiations on that. For sure. For sure. So when I talk about somebody else hiring somebody, uh, I'm still usually doing the hiring process. If I'm the line producer or the producer taking care of that, I'm trusting them to find the person. And then after that, they'll kind of send me their contact information and I will handle the logistics of getting them onboarded. So we'll just kind of walk through what that looks like. So let's say I've got a gaffer uh, he'll say, hey, what rates do we have in the budget for my team? Mm -hmm. And so I'll tell him kind of like his second rate and his third rate in any additional man days that he might have, which are typically just certain days when they need extra hands that they'll bring somebody on. And then I'll give them flexibility. I'll say, hey, if you've got somebody that's a really good third and your second's kind of weak, you know, you can adjust the pay scale a little bit if you want to, but it lets them know kind of the scale that we're at. Right, Because typically when we're looking at paying people, we're trying to be as balanced as possible. So everybody's kind of at, you know, whatever tier they're at, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, we're trying to be as balanced as possible. And then there's some adjustment that's sometimes made for more or less experience. Uh, and the positions also reflect the responsibility that somebody's carrying when they're working. So once they kind of know the rates that they have, they reach out to the people that they want to hire. And typically they'll get a, you know, yay or nay. And 
kind of go from there. And then once they have the person say, okay, you know, please, please get them on board. And then at that point, they kind of know the rate, but they might have other questions, uh, logistical questions, uh, travel days, uh, per diem, what the lodging is going to look like, what the shooting schedule is looking like, all that kind of stuff. And that's where I will try to answer their questions, uh, make sure that we're on the same page. And then after that, we'll send them some uh, start paperwork uh, or a deal memo if we're not ready for start paperwork that just kind of shows uh, reflected on paper all those different points mm -hmm. so that they can actually uh, start the onboard process. Okay. You touched on um, about how sometimes, you know, you'll let, like, say, the gaffer or whoever know, like, maybe they have, you know, this much budgeted for, like, additional kind of day players or or something like that. So how do you gauge like whether, yeah, maybe it's individual people or maybe you've, once you get into the shoot, you find out, oh, we really, they need like another guy the rest of the, the show. Like, is that a worthwhile expense to add to the budget versus not having that? All right. So when we look at the budget of a film as it pertains to manpower, uh, there's kind of a balance that you're trying to strike between different departments to make sure everybody can bring the best result that you need uh, for the budget range that you're at, right? Mm -hmm. There's a different expectation for a $20,000 budget than there is for a $20 million budget and everything in between. And you're always trying to exceed the expectations at whatever budget point you're at, which means you're always super tight, regardless of what budget you have. <laughs> So with that understanding, uh, when we start out, we look at the script, we try to evaluate the challenges of filming in the different locations and all the different variables that there's going to be, figure out how many days we can film, which is a big factor, because uh, paying your manpower is the biggest expense on a film, at least in the United States. So when you're looking at that, you're trying to evaluate how to best allocate the money that you have. As things play out, you find out that there are certain locations that are just going to be a lot harder to do what you wanted to do, or the weather will change your schedule or any number of things that can just throw off your initial calculation. And at that point, you have to figure out the best way to adjust and say, well, I thought we needed money over in this area here but actually we need to move some of those funds over to a different area to cover to maintain the balance and so you're trying to constantly evaluate that you try to evaluate that during pre-production as you get feedback from all your different departments and make sure that everything's as balanced as possible and then you continue to evaluate that during production so one example when we were on uh, birthright we ended up filming in the sand quarry and a sand quarry just has a lot of challenges compared to a normal filming set. Mm -hmm. uh, everything wants to sink into the sand. You can't even drive a truck up to set without it getting stuck. So we had to allocate a lot of manpower just to building a road to get to set, which was never in the budget originally. We had to allocate additional electricians and grips to be able to get the equipment moved at the speed we needed to be able to move. And then we got rained out for one of our five days there. <clears throat> and so 
all of these additional variables keep changing the game. And so you just have to be able to adjust as it goes. And the hope, of course, is that somewhere you're saving some money as you're spending extra money other places so that it all balance out. So that's kind of the bigger picture of mm-hmm. how you try to balance things. So if you get into a situation where it's like, hey, uh, we're not going to be able to do what we want to do with what we have. You have to take a step back and figure out how to reallocate resources. Uh, and the challenge is you can't take resources you already allocated and gave to somebody. You can only take resources that you allocated but didn't give to somebody yet. So being able to balance that and try to figure out how to move things around is a challenge. And usually you have allocated it. Then what you have to do is you have to bring your team together and as a team strategize the best way to move forward and see where you need to pull from to be able to put it somewhere else, see what, you know, your uh, experts in each area uh, think they can do and how to work as a team to, to solve the equation. Cause usually you can't solve it just with one interested party. You've got to get that input mm-hmm. from everyone involved and impacted to figure out the best way forward. Definitely. Filmmaking's not a, uh, not a single person endeavor. No, it's not. Very <laughs> team oriented. You mentioned what somebody had said to you, which is you want people who are fountains, not drains. So I guess I'd be curious to hear, like, what are maybe some red flags or things that you kind of watch out for when you're maybe having a phone call with a potential crew person you might be bringing on and things like that, that if you haven't worked with them before, it's like, okay, maybe I don't want this person on my project. So when I'm working on uh, figuring out whether I want to bring somebody on for the first time, uh, kind of what will typically happen, and this happens definitely in even more extreme way, the higher up you go, mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out more if you want to work with a person more than if they're qualified to do the job. And if you go into like a big, big stakes meeting, uh, which I've had the privilege to sit down with you. Uh, typically, if you have an hour with somebody and you're talking with an investor or with a main producer or director, something like that, probably 55 to 56 minutes of that hour is spent just getting to know the other person. And you're basically the someone, I don't remember who uh, said, you kind of have a first impression in the first five to 10 seconds. And then you spend the rest of the call trying to, see if it bears out, you know, your impression or not. Yeah. Uh, And that's what happens, right? So you're really just trying to get to know the other person say, hey, do I want to spend a chunk of my life working with this person or not? And thankfully in film, we kind of have the opportunity to choose sometimes. And uh, so you get an impression uh, off of whatever variable it might be, uh, just the way they're asking the questions or the questions that they ask can give you some insights into past experiences that they've had. Mm-hmm. If they start asking you about the catering, it probably means they had some really bad catering on a previous project or somebody that forgot that you're supposed to have catering. Or if they start asking about the housing, uh, they probably had some lousy housing in the last year. So <laughs> you can get some insights into just the uh, experiences that someone's had. Mm-hmm. Also just the way the questions are asked. Uh, you can tell a lot about an individual as well. And I don't really want to give anybody some tips on how to game the system, 
Right. Uh, but I would just say that definitely uh, as much as red flags popping up, which sometimes there are, really what you're hoping for is like some extra green lights popping up in the process. So you're looking for like, Hey, wow, that was a unexpected surprise. That's a bonus. It turns out they're local or mm-hmm. it turns out that, you know, we share some common friends that we weren't aware of or that, you know, they collaborated on a project that we're familiar with or uh, any number of things like that. You're just looking for those commonalities, those things that make you think, Hey, they're going to be a good part of the team. Because as much as I look at the individuals, I'm looking at how they're going to fit in with the team. And then definitely there's some people that understand the challenge of the project and want to just help any way they can. And, you know, when you hear people saying things like, Hey, any way I can help, or, you know, thank you so much for thinking of me, things like that uh, shows that their, their mindset is where you want it to be. You know, you feel like they're going to be able to come alongside and collaborate and work together and push towards a goal, uh, which is always an encouragement. So uh, I don't think you can really uh, pick up a lot on a short call, Mm -hmm. but you'll definitely just start to hear things. It's like, oh, yeah, that's that's what I like to hear. And that's the kind of person I've hired before that says those kind of things and does those kind of things and is an asset to the team. And I think one of the things I've really enjoyed about working with the different producers that I've been able to work with over the last few years is their mindset is very much to take care of the crew and be able to work with people we love to work with over and over. Right. So that also puts us in a great position to be able to try to make sure that we're a fountain and that we're a blessing to the crew as well. uh, And hopefully be able to, to collaborate in the future. I like that. Uh, looking for the the green lights or the green flags more. One thing that I've noticed when we're evaluating someone for a position on a film crew, sometimes you're thinking about the plus that they bring. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're evaluating the minuses. So if you're evaluating somebody, you're like, well, hey, it's only like a minus two from zero. So it's not that bad. Then you already know what side of zero you're on. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't have a better option and you're weighing two options that wouldn't be your first picks and you're comparing them to the person that would be your first pick. And, you know, maybe they don't have the same skill sets or the same variables that they bring to the table. And so it feels like a negative, Uh, but you could discover that they have some positives. Other people you're evaluating. It's like, man, they bring a plus five. This other person brings a plus three, but you know, so if you're evaluating kind of, above the average and thinking about somebody that's usually a really good thing if you're trying to evaluate someone and you feel like they're evaluating below your average it's usually not a good thing uh so that can be an indicator as well of where somebody falls Mm -hmm. and what you have to realize is sometimes you think well it's just like a minus two but if your other option would be a plus five that's a much bigger difference than you know we always tend to think about the zero and how far from zero they are. Right. But it's not all just, you know, a zero maximum or minimum. I really like that. I've never thought about it that way before. So then as a producer, what makes you want to rehire someone the next time you're doing a project? So when I'm working with, 
somebody and there's certain things that I will see that make me want to bring them back. Things like uh, if they're proactive, like we talked about work ethic, right? It was kind of at the top of my list of if right. I've worked with somebody and bringing them back. If I see somebody that's proactive, that doesn't need to be nudged to know what they need to do, that's looking around and seeing, oh, what do I need to do? How can I do it? How can I do it the best way possible that works well with other people, that communicates well? Mm-hmm. If I see somebody that is always on time or always 15 minutes early on the last project I did, there was this one uh, person that, as far as I know, was always 15 minutes early uh, to get to work. And sometimes what I'll do when I'm on a project, just getting a feel for everybody, I'll show up as the line producer. I'll show up 30, 45 minutes before the first call, before the first pre-call to see if everybody's actually showing up for their pre-calls, if they're showing up for their calls and I'll make notes. It's just personal notes, mostly just, okay, well they got here, you know, 10 minutes before their call or they got here eight minutes after their call. And I make those notes. Hopefully I don't really have to do anything with them, but it's just giving me insights into how the different people think and how they work and how they process and what's happening. Paying attention to how they interact with other people. You know, lots of times people are going through stuff in their personal life. That's just hard. Right. And you can see that reflected when they're at work, you know, and sometimes they need somebody to just come and, you know, give them a, a shoulder and a, a hand to lift them up and help them through it. Uh, but definitely looking for people that are just polite and courteous to everyone that treat everybody the same, whether they're a department head or a PA uh, mm-hmm. or an actor or anybody uh, just looking at those kinds of things, uh, <clears throat> character traits and uh, how they handle the paperwork, how they handle the work. Uh, are they on their phones? Are they watching? Are they, always in the right place or are they always in the wrong place? Those are the things I'm kind of looking at and evaluating. So definitely people that are always showing up early that are always paying attention and looking for what they can do that are polite and courteous that are kind of uh, just looking to add that extra plus. Those are the fountain kind of people. Those are the people that you want to work with all the time. And generally speaking, people that, uh, you know, show up late every once in a while and are just on their phones and not really paying attention and whatever. It doesn't mean that they're not doing their jobs, perhaps, you know, mm-hmm. certain situations you just have downtime and stuff like that. And that's not a problem, but it's a difference of being prepared to adjust and watching and looking at things or just right. getting smacked in the head because you didn't see it coming. So yeah, those are some of the things that I would look at and evaluate when I'm thinking about who I want to bring back. So I did have kind of a couple wrap-up questions for you. Um, and I get and the first one, some of it you might you may have kind of touched on a little bit with what you're just talking about, but um what's like maybe one of the aspects of the of hiring and building these teams that is like either very enjoyable for you or is like your favorite part of it? One of the things I love about being able to be involved in the hiring process is that you get to kind of build a team each time. Uh, Hopefully with the people that you really love to work with, uh, hopefully they're available. You get to just kind of bring back friends and family and, you know, that kind of feeling of Mm -hmm. being able to collaborate again with a group of people that you've worked with before. 
that's a lot of fun. One of the challenges comes in when it's like you find out that three out of five are not available because your friend's making a movie and they're all working with your friend. And that's really tough. Uh, had that happen once uh, with Birthright. Actually, there was another project going at the same time. We just uh, all love working with the same people and many times all work together. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you're kind of splitting the family down the middle and saying, okay, well, that person's over there and this person's over here. That's definitely one of the the challenges of it, trying to figure out the timing of everything. And I really enjoy just any time I get to bring a friend back on that I've really enjoyed building memories with and working with and collaborating with in the past and everything works out where they're the right fit for the next project and you bring them on and they're able to come on and you just gain so much uh, from that shared experience from an efficiency Mm -hmm. perspective, from a friendship building perspective. And I think after you do a few hard projects, everybody just kind of feels like family Uh, regardless of how well you get along or any issues that you may have had on a previous project, still family, just like family. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's always fun when you can bring back family and just get to work again on a project together. Yeah. Nice. No, that's, yeah, that's been fun. I had a couple projects this year where I got to keep working with the same people and, uh, it's always a good time. So then, um, the final question I have is actually not hiring related. It's like the question of the season, I guess you could call it that I'm asking all my guests. Um, and that is, you know, with film, you're gone sometimes weeks or months at a time from your home. So how do you go about building community at your home? So when you have those moments where you're not gone on set, you still have like that support structure, um, back home. So it's an interesting question about, uh, building community at home. I grew up uh, traveling and living many different places throughout my childhood. So I don't really have a place that I think of as home for me okay. from a geographical location. So it's really about the people that I interact with regularly. And those are not in any one place and they're not where I live. So by and large, my way of handling that is just trying to keep in touch with my friends and family that are close to me uh, on a regular basis, wherever I am making time for that and uh, calling the grandparents, calling my sisters, calling, you know, close friends and just keeping in touch and connecting Mm -hmm. with them. Um, There's also the church perspective and definitely it's a little bit awkward when you go to a church that you've been going to and they're like, Hey, is this your first time? It's like, Nope, but you're obviously new. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, definitely just one of those things you just have to deal with. I don't know a real solution to it, mm-hmm. but, uh, one of the big things I would say that I do, and I learned this growing up with my family, uh, my parents really made an effort to always keep the family together. When there were trips, we'd go as a family. When we did different things, we'd go as a family. And I have found that that's what I need to do in my situation. Uh, I always travel with my family. Okay. So if I'm going to be gone for more than just a few days, then I'm going to take my family with me. And if I can't do that, then I can't do the job. And I'll 
find somebody else to take my spot or whatever the case may be and keep moving forward. So kind of the way I approach it, uh, my family nucleus is kind of my home, okay, not the geographical location. So I basically bring home with me. And then my friend group aren't necessarily at my geographical location because I'm not there long enough to, uh, you know, develop that. That takes time. So while my hope is to always have friends in the community, wherever our house is or wherever our base is, wherever our physical geographical location is when we're not working on a film, uh, so far the way that's played out is just kind of having a on-the-go version. Nice. Yeah. And that has its challenges too. Oh, yeah. Uh, One person uh, told me, and I think somebody's probably made a meme about it, it, it's hard either way, so pick your hard. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I saw a meme about that for marriage. It's like, well, marriage is hard and divorce is hard. So take your pick. And uh, it's a good way to think about things. You know, lots of yes. times people want things to be easy. And really, it's just acknowledging that things are hard and picking which hard you want to go through. So uh, that's that's how I think about it. That's how my wife thinks about it. So we say, okay, we're going to pick the hard that keeps us together instead mm-hmm. of the hard that keeps us apart. We're going to pick the hard that, you know, deals with not being at a same location a long time, but figure out how to, how to make it work and work through it. So. Yeah, definitely applies to every aspect of life, picking one hard and acknowledging Mm -hmm. it. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode, uh, but thank you very much uh, for coming back on the show once again. Thank you for having me. It's uh fun to listen to and fun to be a part of. And with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of the producer podcast. Make sure to like and follow this podcast and share it with others. Also stay tuned for the release of the new book, the producer's life, a guide to practical film producing releasing later this month from show host, Mike Versman. until next time. Thanks for listening.